Welcome to the Yal Mega Podcast, where we delve into the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs, motivational coaches, and business leaders. Join us as we hear about their journey to success and the challenges they face along the way. We'll uncover their secrets to perseverance and determination and gain valuable insights into what it takes to reach your goals. The journey may not be beautiful, but it is always purposeful. So sit back, relax, and be ready to be inspired by those who have dared to dream big and make it a reality. Wepa! What up, mi gente? It's Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Al Mega podcast, a.k.a. The Amp. That's right, and today we have a wonderful guest that's had quite a journey and a self-made person right here. I mean, we're going to get in, in, into this because he's had to go through something really tragic, apparently, where we had this wake-up moment. It, that's when it was. I can't wait to really get into this because very interesting indeed. But homie over here has uh, been doing lots of podcasts. He is the host of, a regular host of The World According to Ben Stein. Um, he's a contributor on the NTD uh, television, specializing in crypto. All right. Uh, he has a background in oil production out of Hollywood. Okay. Throwing his creds there. I'm going to find out how many names we're going to be sweeping up. But he's also the financially independent contrarian. Contrarian. What do you mean? Let's, let's, let's find out. It's the one, the only, the legend, Miles Wakeham. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Legend. Oh, okay. I'll take it. That's a, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, man, a, a self-made person like yourself, you know, doing what you did. I can't wait to get in, in, into it because you've had quite the journey, apparently, you know, uh, to reach uh, where, where you've reached. So, you know, bless on that, and I can't wait to learn. So uh, let's begin, if you will, Miles. So tell us a bit about yourself, where you originally from, and, you know, your upbringing, if you will. Uh, I'm from Adelaide, Australia, which is on the – South coast of a big island in the South Pacific. Um, and it's basically, my story is not unusual in my early years uh, for most people growing up in Australia in the 60s and 70s as I did. Uh, but, you know, we come from a, a land down under, a land on the other side of the planet, and things are done differently down there. And I started realizing that when I left my shores and started traveling the world. But that's... Where it all began. At what, at what age did you did you start leaving those shores, if you will? Twenty five, something like that. So maybe I, I mean right. I guess my first international trip was earlier than that to New Zealand or something, but predominantly twenty five. Did you get culture shock between Australia and New Zealand, or was it the same old same old? Um, yeah, I mean there's a lot of culture shock. Uh, very different. Whenever you travel somewhere um, and you come from a place where you're the minority for the most part, uh, you have to learn to be humble. You have to learn to, you know, when in Rome, you adapt to wherever you you are and uh, you become a part of their culture and you add value when you can, but you don't attempt to, you know, insert yourself or push yourself upon it. You just adapt. And I guess that's kind of what I did. But, you know, look, at the age of 25, life is about adapting. You find yourself in different situations. You adjust to it. So, you know, I guess I just did it on a macro scale. He goes macro. All right. So you started at New Zealand. You you got a sense, okay, this is what traveling is. It's someplace else. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, what was the next place that you started going to? 
Uh, Hawaii, and then Los Angeles. Oh, okay. All right, Hawaii. So you got a little bit uh, of U.S. taste, but not really in Hawaii, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But And then you hit L.A. How is that? Because I'm pretty sure. Because I know I have a friend from Australia. When he came to Massachusetts for a, a Comic-Con, he was like, whoa. Even what he was ordering for food wasn't the same. And people were looking at him like, what are you trying to say? It was hysterical. The poor guy couldn't order eggs. Shout out to God. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't understand them. He's like, I want eggs runny. And they're like, you, you mean uh, over easy? Runny. You mean over easy? He goes, well, so long as they run. He goes, I don't understand. You mean over easy, right? And he didn't understand. That's really what he was asking for. It was funny. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what was that experience when you hit the states finally? Um, pretty, it's pretty extreme. Uh, firstly, everyone drives on the other side of the road. The water goes down the <laughs> toilet in the opposite direction, and the la- the population of the city that I was in was equal to the entire population of the country that I came from. Okay. Uh, so that was pretty amazing. I'd never seen freeways before, and so I landed in LAX. And the first thing that happened when I got picked up at the airport was to be put on the 405 and see what a freeway looks like. And that's shocking. Um, yeah, it, it hits you all at once. Um, and you just come off a 16-hour flight. So you're kind of like already you're a bit sort of numbed out. And then you you end up coming there. It, it, the place is just entirely different. And I realized that uh, there was a couple of things. There was a lot of adjusting you do initially then there's a kind of a a perspective you get after a day or so and you start this was in 1989 Um, there was a sense of freedom that wasn't consistent with where I'd come from where I came from was like living in an HOA neighborhood everything was dictated to you and you had to conform and you had to be a part of a you know, community and you were supposed to contribute in that. And yeah. and that's fine, except that everything was being told to you what to do. You didn't, you weren't given the incentive to invest in this or do this thing or learn this thing. You were being told and that yeah. was hard. I thought that was normal. I guess if I went to Eastern Europe, it probably would have been. If I went to well, part, parts of Western Europe, Europe, I would have been like that but not in the United States. In the United States, it's like, all right, the buck stops here. It's on your, it's on you, whatever you do. You have complete freedom to do whatever you want, but you own it. And there's yeah. no, there's no safety net. You fall down. It's on you. You run out of money, mm-hmm. your problem. You get mm-hmm. sick, your problem. Right. And that's hard to get used to when you come from a country like Australia, as I did in the early days, as many complaints as I'd have about that, there's no safety net here. That means that you have to adjust to it again, and that means you bring your A game and you don't uh, make mistakes if you can afford to. Yeah. Um, you have some sort of risk mitigation. I, I actually found that exciting. I found that uh, good because I'd come from a country where anything on the ground that was wriggling around would probably kill you uh, from snakes. <laughs> to and you're raised with that. You're raised with the fact that you're just another species and 
you know, you could be somebody else's lunch at any moment. So you treat yourself with some care and you make sure you don't, you know, you accommodate everything around you and you become part of it. And uh, I think that was kind of a really important skill that I found myself with in L.A. But um, no, man, it was awesome you went to L.A. I say, had you come to New York, you would have been dealing with the same thing, the same snakes and vermin. So you would have felt right at home. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, I guess it's just a different city and a different culture, and you'd adapt differently. But at the end of the day, I'd still be an immigrant, and I'd still be a the fish out of water, and I'd still be the oddball. So I just adapt to wherever I am. And and once I learned the art of adaptation, it meant well, I don't have to stop here. I could keep going, and so I've done that for the most of my life ever since all right so i gotta ask because there was an incident that happened right that you you went through in life that, that i mentioned where you had kind of a wake-up moment you mentioned in your biography and pod match uh, shout out to al out there pod match we'll talk about that incident in your life where you had kind of had a wake-up moment all right so uh there's a bit of a lead up to this so when I first arrived in the States, I had nothing but a bag of clothes, I had very little money, and I, but I got married um, somewhat unexpectedly. I met a girl and we got married and I couldn't leave the States because the way immigration was being processed. So I was stuck waiting for the government to do their thing and that took, I'm going to say, nearly six months to get, to get oh, sorted wow. out. So during that time, I went back to my musical roots and I that's where I spent most of my time in bands and hanging in Hollywood and, and all of that. But eventually when I was able to work, uh, I couldn't find work because nobody could understand who I was. I didn't have all the right degrees and paperwork that everybody in the States had. Uh, I was an oddball. So I must have gone to 20 or so interviews to try to find something. And, and nothing. Now, here's the weird thing. I never finished high school. I am a self-made software developer. And in 1970, oh, wow. the late 70s, I was one of a very, very small group of people who knew how to program a computer. I rode that opportunity for all it's worth in Australia. I wrote software for governments, for universities. For I, I wrote a software uh, application that managed the contract billing for a five billion dollar submarine project for the Department what? of Defense. Yeah, I was twenty two years old. I did all these amazing things, but that's because and I you can... did that. Well, how did you even learn all this? You, know, you say you're not even a high school graduate, college. I mean, how did you get into the tech on that level? Uh, I don't associate education with skill. I think if you've got okay. skill and you learn to hone it, then that's all you need. And I just so what were the understand. seeds of those skills then? <laughs> very inquisitive on that level. Uh, okay. I, I came from a musical family. We were very sensitive to things that were going on around us. And in the case of computers, I was extremely um, enamored by the fact that this machine could do things in my absence that I could control. And as a mm. 13, 14 year old kid, that's powerful. Um, so I took that and I learned it and I became one of the very few people who knew how to program computers and that became my, my nice. shtick. That's what I did. When I got to the States, I'd done all of this amazing stuff. I was 25. They looked at me like, 
nah, you, you, that's not possible. I'm like, well, seriously, it is. Let me show you. No, we haven't got time for you. Move on. You haven't got the right degree or whatever. So, okay, fine. So eventually after getting, I got nose like up and down. So eventually I stumbled into this building site where these guys were building a company in a a mobile trailer park. I got asked to interview for doing the computer systems for this thing, this startup. And uh, they, they said, okay. And I thought, oh, cool. Because, you know, startups in a trailer park don't really have a great deal of street cred, you know what I mean? It's like it's not like they're going to get every <laughs> Harvard graduate who's going to turn up and want to yeah. work for them. It just so happened that that little startup became Amgen, the world's largest biotechnology corporation, and I was one of the early wow. guys, so I just rode that way. Out of a trailer park? Yeah, out of a trailer park. They ended up that building so a city. Funny, I, that, that looks so shady, <laughs> honestly. Because in the states, if you if you got a computer business out of a, out of a trailer shop, I don't think it's a computer business. Well, <laughs> hey, going on Steve there. Steve Jobs and Wozniak created Apple out of a garage. I I learned yeah. how to program in my bedroom. I mean, it was like yeah. back in those days. Crazy. If you're if you're it. on the frontier, that's what you do, right? Um, yeah, yeah there's there's no glamour in this. <laughs> <laughs> there is it. <laughs> not, not. It comes later, you know. But anyway, um, it was really cool. So I made a lot of money, and I was thirty-two, and I basically could never could stop working and never had to work ever ever again. And that was driving me nuts. Wow. Um, I, I ended up spending more time back in Hollywood. I, I learnt the art of recording engineering, and I ended up working uh, with some. Uh, guys from Capitol Records on some projects and I did some really fun things. I mean, stuff that I've really enjoyed and uh, worked with some great people back then. But then uh, out of the blue, I got a phone call from Australia. My mother had a car accident and I had to get back on a plane and go back and ended up finding her in pretty bad shape. So I decided with my wife that we'd move back there and that didn't work out very well at all because she ended up about six months later, we got a divorce. Um, then I ended up oh, kind of wow. in pretty pretty bad place. And some friends of mine just, you know, who I grew up with had said to me one day, do you want to come with us to a, uh, on a road trip to the other side of the country, we, you know, for New Year's Eve or something? And I said, sure, whatever. i got nothing else going on. And it just so happens on that road trip, we had a massive car accident and I ended up uh, in a coma for about a week um, the girl, oh. my buddy's girlfriend who was sitting in, I was in the back seat. She was sitting in the front. She, she was killed. And then I woke up with her body on top of mine and she was dead. And I'm like, what the oh. hell is going on? And yeah, and that was pretty nasty. Um, so it was kind of like you go from hero to zero, like real fast. <laughs> I went from the kid that had nothing who became, you know, super, rich with Amgen to the kid that literally lost it all in a divorce and then paying for medical care, which the government never provided. I had to pay for it myself. And oh and it was God. just horrible. Yeah, so you go from one extreme to another. And then as it happened, um, years later, I remarried, had a daughter. My wife and I, in about 1999, decided that uh, my mother had passed away and, and we decided we wanted to come back to California. So we did. 
well, she was from Australia. She wasn't from California. I said, trust me, it's cool. You know, so we, we went <laughs> to California. But I came back a different person because now I was a father. Um, now I had to be responsible. I had other people's care and feeding on my back. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was up to me. So I couldn't go back into the music business, which I really wanted to do. I ended up going back into software again. Um, as it happened, I did very well back in the software game. We bought a big house and then eventually we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where we where I am right now. And, you know, it was a, I it mean, was a journey. Is that the house that had the bull ring? No, that comes after. <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> that comes even after. after. No, oh, that's, wow, a, that's a weird that. story. So, so what happened there was um, for 20 years I lived in Arizona. And just before COVID, like about, I don't know, maybe 2016 through 2019. Um, My daughter was in college. She went to U of A in Tucson. So my wife and I are sitting around this house all by ourselves saying, you know, what do we want to do for the next chapter of our lives? Because we knew our daughter was going to go and do her own thing. And we decided that one of the things that we both realized that we liked was uh, being on the Arizona, being a border state with Mexico, we would constantly go into Mexico all the time and go to the beach and you know all that stuff. Yeah. Um, we ended up spending more and more time in central Mexico, in Mexico City and in some of the larger, more historical areas. And we started to really embrace the culture of the country. And then right. uh, at some point, about 2019, I, uh, I still had some injury left over from this road accident from 20-odd years before. But I couldn't get any health care in the States because it was a pre-existing condition and I didn't have Obamacare or anything like that. So I, I was kind of screwed. And then one day I woke up with this like massive pain in my shoulder. And uh, so we were in Mexico and I went to see a doctor because you can. You can just walk into a doctor down there. And this guy, you yeah. know, he's German. He's trained in Europe and he's an orthopedic surgeon and he – gives me an x-ray and then eventually that turned into an MRI which is like super cheap down there and he comes back and he goes yeah I can see which problem is I'm like why he says well you got a tumor in there I'm like oh god are you freaking kidding me what he goes I think it's benign I don't think it's malignant but I need to get it out and you need surgery I'm like well like you know so I'm like calling friends of mine in the states like what's this going to cost you know and I'm getting no one will tell you but eventually they're telling me it's probably going to be like 160 grand or something like that. And My that's God. Yeah, if there's no <laughs> complications. And I'm like, I said to the doctor in Mexico, what do you think it's going to cost to get it done here? And he says, he works it all out in his calculator and he comes back and goes, oh, about 9,000 bucks. I'm like, oh, wow. sign me up. Sign me up. Six-pack six of Coronas or what was it? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, tacos and medical care, right? Um, yeah, so I said, sign me up, dude. So he does, I, I go in there, I get the thing, best medical experience I've ever had. Um, got it fixed, all, all good. And I started realizing right there that this was really important because I'd learned that these people actually give a crap about people. You know, <laughs> they actually care about people. It wasn't about yeah. the money, it was about the outcome. And I thought, you know, I really feel safer in this. And a real doctor with the, that believes in the real in right. The 
Exactly. <laughs> and there wasn't like 12 administrators between you and that doctor so that you couldn't see them. That's for insurance. Can I see your card? Can I see your card? Right. Wait a minute. Before that injection comes, can I see your card? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's not like that. It's like, you know, you just get it fixed. So uh, it's wow. funny. I, you know, here's the weird story. This is to your point about the bullfighting ring. <laughs> so I'm, re- I'm recovering from the surgery. I'm in Guadalajara. I'm in an Air, uh, Airbnb for about a month while I'm recovering and uh, there's nothing to do. So I'm watching YouTube videos as you do. And um, I just so happened to uh, stumble upon an interview with the producer of uh, the Foo Fighters uh, one, uh, who did their second album. And uh, I'm watching it because I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then he starts talking about the studio where it was recorded. And I'm like, where was that? And I, there's a studio called Grandmaster Recorders. It's unfortunately okay. been t- turned into condos or restaurants, something oh. now. It's no longer operating. But that's where I used to work, right? Okay. I used to be like a almost a house engineer there. And uh, it's really funny because he's like, they're talking about this session. They They recorded the biggest hits of the Foo Fighters ever long uh, songs yeah. like that. It was the album's called The Colour and the Shape. Um, if I find, I check the dates and the guy says, yeah, we recorded it from this date to this date in like 95 and 96, something like that. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That's a week yeah. before I left to go back to Australia when my mum had a car accident. And then I realized the owner of the studio had come down to me a couple of days prior and said, are you available next week to do, I've got this out of state client coming in. They need to get some engineering done, some recording. Do you, uh, would you do it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then I called him back and I said, listen, you've got to cancel all my scheduled stuff because I've got to go back to Australia. That was the Foo Fighters. So when wow. I realized that I sort of, my wife looked at me, I looked at her and she's like, you gotta, you gotta finish this. <laughs> you can't leave this like right there. You're going to regret this for the yeah, rest of man. your life. And that ended up turning into a long winded adventure to find an acre of land in central Mexico that used to be a matador school with a big bullfighting ring on it. We bought it, bulldozed everything turned it back to its original land. It still had these 30-foot-high compound walls around it. Um, And we decided to build um, our beautiful luxury, you know, home, a mansion on the place. And uh, I'm building the the largest private recording studio in Latin America uh, on the property right now, which is where I've been for the last two months (laughs) down there working on the land and, working with the crew and getting the excavations all squared away and everything. So yeah, that's, oh, that's what I do. <laughs> I go for wherever, awesome. wherever the wind takes me, I guess, but you know, I'm just sensitive to what opportunities present themselves, even in the, the worst of times. All right. So let's, let's talk about this. Then. Before we go, there's a couple of things I do want to ask you and it's the based off the podmaster again, shout out to Alex. So, you know, uh, let's talk about financial, sustainability what 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 is that um it's about making about 150 percent of whatever your burn rate is so okay so let me explain what that means um 
Everybody in the United States has a burn rate. We have an expense cost per month to, to exist. And if you, if you really want to be true to yourself about it, you work it out over the course of a year or so and then divide it by that number of months and you come up with a number. And that's your burn rate. That's what it, even the worst of cases, you need to make that money or you're on the street or, you know, you that's don't want to minimum. make that money. Your minimum. That's your rock bottom minimum. <laughs> right. So once you understand that number, then what you've got to do is get it down as low as you possibly can, only for a short period of time, but get it down as low as you possibly can. And then learn that the one thing that is important uh, that I learned very early on is that the rich don't have jobs, right? Rich people don't have jobs. I mean, we all know that, but we forget it. All the time we forget it because everywhere we look, our society, our government, our college guidance counsellors or you know, school guidance counsellors, whatever, are telling you, you need to have a good job. Well, I completely disagree because I'm the kid that came from nothing that just proved that what was really more important was that I learned what I was passionate about and I was willing to go and hone that to a level that few others are willing to go to. That doesn't mean that I'm not exceptional and I'm not unusually driven. I'm just willing to not be distracted. And the problem I found was that everywhere in the United States, what I'd learned as an immigrant was that everybody here was living in a constant distraction world. They were going to work and not really realizing why. And they would buy the nice car, but not realize why they needed it. And they were living in concrete jungles, but they were so distanced from the reality of us as a species the things that I had to grow up with in Australia where I realized that we're just, we can't take ourselves that seriously and we have to, you know, work copacetically with everything around us, both other humans, but also nature and also the world and the universe. And you learn very quickly that if you can understand that the universe is willing to give you its bounty, you just have to be willing to receive it. It's just a question of, are you willing? And most of us are so distracted away from those things by technology and everything else that we forget that, you know, we don't actually have to work 50 hours a week. Um, I, I recently had a conversation with somebody about this, and I think it was probably uh, the best summation of it all. We live in a world where we think progress is really important and we strive for progress at levels we've never seen before, certainly since the Industrial Revolution. Everybody wants to progress more. <laughs> so, you know, what do you do? You, you get the latest this and you work the latest that and you get into Bitcoin or you get into this and you get into that and all the stuff. You get to and AI, this, let's go. <laughs> roger that, yeah. And you're like, this is massive fervor to, to go and, you know, be the, get in, in front of it. But no one has a mission. There's no point to all of this, right? It's like we're progressing without purpose. We have absolutely no reason why we do these things. We just do. We feel like it's a, a, a maybe an evolutionary thing in our species that we have to we have to raise ourselves up. We have to be better tool makers. We have to fly to other planets. We have to. But why? Why we get one life, and most of the time when you value things and you put priorities on things, those things, they might define how you see yourself, 
but they don't define the most important things, the things that bring tears to your eyes. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we forget ourselves sometimes. We take ourselves too seriously and we forget that, that it's okay to have a, a progress towards something, but you have to know your mission. And the problem is few of us really understand that. And so we fervently work, work, work without purpose. And we wonder why we're miserable and why we can't, we, we start hating each other. And then, you know, you get this tribal warfare thing going. It's not because we, we're not like that normally. Norm, but the problem is we've lost our way. And, and I, I just sort of feel at some point that a lot of the reason for that is childhood upbringing and education, particularly in high school, because the parents, look, I'm a parent and I know what it was like. You do anything for your kid. You take a bullet for your kid. But at the same time, you think that you're so high strung and conservative that the kid to be safe, they have to go to college. They have to go to yeah. this university. They have to have that. And all we're doing is we're, we're, we're churning out a factory of, of ant workers that don't know anything better than following whatever somebody else told them to do and just doing whatever the society tells them is their purpose. And I call BS on the whole thing because I think at the end of the day, the happiest person out there is the one that early on finds their mission finds their purpose because then everything can align to it, right? And it starts becoming a, an almost organic, natural thing. But we're not, we're not doing that. We're, we're building an army of worker ants and no wonder everyone's freaking miserable and ready to, you know, rip each other's throats out. I mean, that, that's not healthy. And so I, no, it's not. I, I, I just really want people to understand that at the youngest age, um, it's more important that you don't do what society tells you to do, that you find who you are. And then you make what society offers you fit that model. You don't fit it. It fits you. That's how it worked for me. I came here without any, I couldn't fit in that model. I wasn't allowed to. If, if society had given me what they thought that and you know, an uneducated immigrant would have, I'd be on the borders with a hundred thousand other, you know, Guatemalans sure. and Hondurans and, and Cubans down there mm -hmm. wondering why I couldn't scurry in. But I had was one little bit of luck and that was I, I, I got married and I was allowed in. And then when I got in, I made the most of it, you know, and I just, people just have to understand mission and purpose and most importantly, that you don't have to be a product of your own local geography. You can go anywhere on the planet. Cost of an airline ticket super cheap. The technology is great and gets you anywhere you want to be. Find a place that's no cheap line. and then find yourself. There we go. All right, so I have one more question, then we're going to go through a couple of things so people know where to be in touch with you. All right, mm -hmm. so uh, this is my last question here. So why should people throughout this traditional concept of retirement entirely. But here you are, I mean, you're doing your thing and you're retired and, I mean, you, you've been done for quite a long time. So like, I want to get there. I'm still working. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was 22, before I left Australia, my father passed away and I had to take care of him. I was an only child, so I had to take care of the family. And... Uh, 
that was pretty formative, formative, you know, at that young age. Um, I realized that as much as I thought I knew him as a father, I didn't really know him as a man, not, you know, like a couple of guys having a beer at the bar kind of thing. It wasn't, yeah. I, I would have loved to have had that relationship. I got a very small experience of that before he passed away when he used to play golf and he'd often invite me out on the golf course and we'd just wander around hitting this white ball around. And I'd talk to him about, you know, tell me about your life and, you know, and he would. How many fathers yeah. do that with their kids? I mean, they, they, they do, but they don't really do it. They feel that, yeah. you know, it's a different. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I he... listen. My father is in his 80s, all mm-hmm. right? So when I ask him about this, tell me about your life. Why do you want to know that stuff, son? That's in the past, you know, and that stuff, you know? You know, that's where it should stay, kind of. It's like, but I just want to know where you're mentally coming from, you know, your, your state of mind as to, you know, how you go. But man, I get it, man. These old school dudes like to try to hide that. You got to kind of pull teeth right. and make sure, make sure mom's not around. So that's when they really speak. <laughs> exactly. No, you're, you're spot on. You're exactly right. That's exactly what my experience was. But, but after he passed, then I had to go through all of this stuff and his affairs and I had to work out, you know, where the money was and my mom was going to be okay. And, and so I did all of that. And then I realized that what killed him, and this was really weird. He was one of these guys who was, I guess you call him the company man. He worked for the same yeah. company for like 40 years. Oh, wow. Um, it was a company that made building materials, a big corporation, big uh, construction place. And he was a, a roof inspector for most of his life. He ended up falling off a roof and then they ended up oh. not letting him back up there. So they put him in the laboratory and that's where he spent yeah. the last 10 years of his life. He was miserable because he was an outdoors kind of guy. But anyway, um, in that time, he uh, he did a lot of chemical work and, and that sort of thing. And it so happens this company, its majority of its products were asbestos. And he ended up contracting uh, what I guess we would call these days mesothelioma, which oh, wow. back in those days was lung cancer. And that's what killed him. And um, I realized at that point that, if you spend, you commit, he, he died at the age of 67, two years after he retired. And, oh, wow. Still a young man. That. Uh, yeah. And I realized what he gave to everybody else, but never for himself. Like he, he, he gave to his employer. He gave to his family. He gave to me. Um, but he never had anything left for himself. And so when the years of retirement came about, he never got the payoff. And I looked at the whole thing in reverse and I said, I don't, I don't want to go down this path. I'm not going to die at 67 having given all of my best years to a company that killed me or didn't care about me. Um, that would be stupid. I want to live my best years young when I can. I don't want to be walking around Prague in Europe with a bad back. I mean, you know, that's stupid. Um, so I said, this is ridiculous. Do everything in reverse. Don't, don't spend all of your – don't just, just sell your life out to work on the fear that you have to have this massive nest egg, otherwise you can't retire. Take retirement out of the equation altogether and do what you love and never stop doing it. You'll just be live. happier. Just live. Um, and if, you've, if you're worried that, you know, you can't pay your $5,000 a month 
rent or mortgage or whatever, then get the hell out of that city and find a place you can do it for 500. I mean, oh yeah, because if you're paying five thousand dollars a rent, that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> a like mortgage is okay, but a rent, you nuts. <laughs> really? I mean, I'm, you know, the place we're building in Mexico, which is a freaking palace. I mean, it's huge, but the, I can live down there like a king for about two thousand bucks a month. I mean, why? Why would I not oh. want to do that? <laughs> I mean, Yo, I got bro. the internet. I got yeah. friends everywhere. I, I the food is incredible. The the people are wonderful. Healthcare is available everywhere you want it. Um, it's it's just uh, beautiful. And what? And I've got an international airport a couple of hours away. I mean, why would I want to not have that? Um, yeah. And as somebody, and if you, you ever want to go bullfighting, you have a ring. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, as somebody who came from a foreign country, everywhere is a foreign country. So I don't yeah. care where it is. I just I go where I'm treated best. So let me ask though: Does Mexico feel, you know, like like like, like Australia? A little bit, yeah. It feels you? like Australia was in say about 1980, something like that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, All right. it's it, not a lot of technology. Yeah, it's great. Okay. It's great, and people are so it, sweet. I mean, they are the nicest people, even to expats. I mean, they are absolutely embracing and the whole concept of family first like the la familia the the whole family dynamic yes. is it permeates through all of society everywhere you go and you may never know you can go into a restaurant they'll treat you like you're one of the family and then oh, that great. how do you not love that now listen you want to feel good wherever you go talk about yeah. family i know you you have a a, a podcast Right, the mm-hmm. unconstrained podcast. You have a family of listeners and whatnot. So, talk about what the podcast is about and how often you drop it. It's a once a week thing. Um, I do. I've done a hundred and eighty odd episodes, and and I, wow, you know, I, I guess it's kind of well, it's kind of like me editorializing a lot of the things that I've experienced in life. That yeah, they are unusual and they're atypical and. People will call them contrarian, but um, it's just a different mindset. I look at things differently, and people seem to be interested in that. So, yeah, I'll talk until the cows come home. I, you know, <laughs> so oh, they, well, they're willing oh, to I listen to me. This. Go for it. <laughs> listen, if you can offer me a different way of looking at science, I am all for it. So I'm definitely going to be all about this. The Unconstrained Podcast, folks, once a week. Check it out on your favorite podcast platform. Now you also have this website, you mm-hmm. know, beunconstrained.com. So what, what, what can we get there? What's going on? Well, that's kind of like the one-stop shopping experience for everything I do, whether it's uh, the podcasts, articles I write. Uh, we have uh, a thing called a matrix server, which is like an open source community forum for all of the people who want to go there. It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to tell them, tell us who you are. It just go in and, and enjoy the conversations, but um, and and people of all walks of life are in there from all countries too, and we just all try and share the little life hacks that we've discovered that get us through the day. But get yeah, this purpose to this because we're all trying to be free. We're all trying to be yes. unconstrained. Yes, 
Let me tell you, you ain't lying. I definitely want to be unconstrained. I'm, I'm going on that path. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter. He said he doesn't do so much, but he got he got to be doing stuff. I'm trying to tell him it's not as toxic as people say. It really isn't. Again, if, again, if you learn how to control the keywords and, and the black button, it's a wonderful thing, folks. You'll have a wonderful time here, just as you would on any other social platform. So make sure to show him some love, give him a follow. But well, first and foremost, check out the website. You know. Subscribe to all the podcast. The podcast is right there, unconstrained. It's going to be on your favorite podcast platform. Drops weekly. He's dropping the knowledge and his stories. So basically, when when you listen to his podcast, what you guys need to do is sit back, turn the lights down low, get your little uh, whiskey on ice. You know, light up that cigar, sit back, relax, cross your leg, and listen because you're going to have about to have a good time. You know, things that make you go hmm with miles away. <laughs> that's it love it well said <laughs> yeah yeah so thank you again for your time we do appreciate you the links are below folks as well so make sure to show the love and again follow i appreciate you guys listening you know subscribe turn on notifications for the Mega podcast make sure to also follow my extended family over at comiccrusaders.com as well as undercovercage.com if you love pop culture media that's where you gotta go thank you everybody hasta la próxima mi gente much love and that's a wrap for today's episode of the Al Mega Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the insights and stories from our guests. Remember, success is a journey, not a destination. At every step you take, no matter how small, brings you closer to your goals. Don't give up on your dreams and keep pushing forward. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and stay motivated.